Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Lord, as we approach your word today, uh, in the same way that we've approached your worship, we do so with humility. There's no way that we could ascribe to you worth. There's no way that we could bring you praise for your majesty and your greatness without recognizing how inferior we are. You're good. And you deserve all the praise from our lips. And so now we pull up to the table for you to feed us with the bread of heaven and nourish our souls. Let there be no lack today. In Christ's name, all believers say amen, amen, and amen. Hey, it's good to be with you. I see that some of y'all made it back, that... um, uh, you're not comatose from your turkeys. Um, there's no food poisoning. Praise God. Amen. Praise God and amen. Amen. The potato salad was up to par. Nobody left it out. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the dairy didn't spoil. You made it. Praise God and amen. Amen. You're here. Um, so it's good to be with you. Um, you know, sometimes uh, Advent and Easter preaching are, are easy in the sense of at least you kind of have the confines like, hey, man, we need to be preaching about the death, burial, and the resurrection for Easter. We need to be preaching about his coming for Advent. And so that's helpful. It's not always helpful um, when you battle with trying to be creative and how, how I'm going to approach it. And you have to rebuke trying to be creative and just, man, just say what's there. Just be faithful and let God do the work. But Thanksgiving is different because that ain't in the Bible. The holiday ain't in the Bible. Uh, the spirit is there of gratitude, but the holiday, the secular holiday, is not in the Bible. And so before I get rolling, I want to shout out to Miss Curtis's second grade class at Richland Elementary for the inspiration for today's word. Amen. Amen. So you, you listen, you got to pay attention to all of life and see how God is working. But as me and my baby were painting feathers on turkeys and learning about the first pilgrims and uh, the American Indians here. Um, you know, I was like, oh, man, uh, just taking a moment and pausing um, in 1621 for the things that they were grateful for, um, for that first little harvest that came in and the food that was provided. Um, you know, that day was memorialized, and we get our secular holiday. And Somebody had enough sense to say, hey, you know what? We should maybe pause and be grateful. Praise God. Sometimes secular worldview and the Christian worldview are so far apart it don't make no sense. But praise God for sometimes when we align. It's like, that's a good idea, brother. We should be grateful. We all agree. Um, And so that secular day was memorialized for us. Um, And if nothing else, it's just a good opportunity for us to pause and to express gratitude. One of the common refrains, if this was December, we would be walking around and saying, hey, Merry Christmas, but it's because it's November and it's the third Thursday or whatever, we we could be at people's houses. Um, You know, one of the things I love is I'm 41 now. 41, you're gonna put some respect on my name. I got my own house. And so, you know, how many of y'all been around long enough 
to dread your believing parents praying those long, drawn-out prayers and putting people on the spot and saying, hey, what are you grateful for? You know, I remember dreading those days. But now that I love Jesus and I got my own house and I'm hosting, I don't care what kind of snickering we doing. We're going to pause and we're going to give some thanks. Because it's appropriate. It's Thanksgiving. We ask each other, what are we thankful for? And so today, excusing the long, drawn-out introduction, I'm just thankful for community. And so from my baby girl's second-grade history class to recently a chapter that I've read um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, out of his book, Life Together, I just pause real quick. Put it, write it down, put it in your bulletin. Life Together. Maybe the best book on community ever, maybe, it's mine. Um, It is a master class. I would have read the whole thing to you, but I thought that would have been remedial and that you wouldn't like that. Uh, So I've tried to be very selective about just a couple passages that I could extract and we could just expound uh, together and maybe even hope whet your appetite to go back to the book because it's just so rich. Um, But today, I'm thankful for community. If y'all are not familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, this is just a German Lutheran pastor who was a clergyman around the time of World War II and the Holocaust. Um, He ends up becoming not only an excellent theologian who wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, Life Together, and some other works, um, but he actually um, ended up um, fleeing to the United States with his... um, Oh, gosh, his fiance, um, and then returned back to Germany during the time of World War II. And he, he was not just an anom- anonymous German who nobody cared about, um, but he was actually one of those Germans who was an enemy of the state. He knew that he went back to Germany, and he ended up dying in a concentration camp, literally weeks before um, they freed those things. Um, he is so um, honored and revered as a martyr, as a recent martyr, that he, there's actually a statue of him at a Catholic church in Europe as one of the 10 most important martyrs of, of our time. Um, just an amazing man and Christian. I think we can learn a lot from. But anyway, I want to talk to you today about the blessing of community. I want to talk to you today about the exclusivity of spiritual community and the poison of carnal community. The blessing of community, the exclusivity of spiritual community, and the poison of carnal community. That's what I want to talk about. Can I get you to say community with me? Amen, amen, amen. Listen, I just chose Acts 2 and 42. That's just a scripture by which we could just jump off because this is more of a topical, systematic kind of sermon today. Um, but it, this, is a, this is a really important concept, right? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer, right? We've just had the ascension. Jesus just left, right? We've got the Pentecost and, and those things happen. This is the early church. And, and, and what I just want to draw your attention to is just how reflexive, how instinctive, how primal community is to the church. This, as you've heard me say many times before, community is Christianity 101, 
before there were denominations, before there were doctrinal statements, before there were creeds. You know what people committed themselves to? Just these couple of components. Hey, let's commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We need to be under the Word of God as it is inspired. We need to commit ourselves to breaking bread together. Some theologians would say that's literally just fellowshipping and breaking bread, and some would say, hey, the Lord's table and that institution, either one will do, right? And we commit ourselves to prayer. And lastly, for today, we commit ourselves to fellowship, koinonia. If you came to Jesus and you thought you could solo that thing, you didn't come to Jesus. Because Jesus got a body and they got many members and you're just one part of it. So if you thought you could come to Christ and you could ride this thing out for the next 60, 80 years, just you working on your inner self, you're missing it, friend. That's not what you were called to. It's been in the institution from the very first beginnings of the first century church that there was a strong commitment to community. Let's talk about community in the Bible. God, after he creates everything, the beautiful created order, the fish, the land, the seas, the first negative assessment he has of the things that he's created was the first time he said it wasn't good. Everything was good. That was good. Tim Johnson, really good. You know, all those things, right? All those things. But then he said, it's not good that what? Man be alone. I established, I made men and women in ways that they complement one another. That really there's not a station in life that I want them to be alone. Whether they're married, whether single, it doesn't matter. I created men to need me and each other. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And so we see that community was God's design, that God has not designated or left community up to and companionship up to whether or not we like the same sports teams. He's not left companionship up to whether or not we have the same personality matches. Community and companionship was his idea. It was his good idea for his creation, for them to flourish. Our God lives in beautiful, harmonious relationship with the other members of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Together. That's in relationship. Psalms 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Community is one of the fundamental biblical ideals. And I, I, will, just, I will tell you, if you're in a dry season, if your gears have just been grinding here and and something seems to be dysfunctional, I would, I would caution you today. It's just where are you with the greater community of Christ? Are you making as full use of it as you could or should? Because it's God's gift to you, and I'm thankful for it today. So let's talk about the blessing of community. Our first quote from Bonhoeffer in chapter one, Life Together. He just says, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. This, it's appropriate for you, unless y'all want me to send it out later. You can take out your phones and you can, I see y'all do it sometimes. It's like, y'all be like, hold on. I, I got 20 of these bad boys, so just keep your phone ready. It ain't gonna bother me. Do you realize, child of God, how much of a blessing and a privilege it is for you to gather here today, right now? Free from persecution. You walked in 
You're breathing air. He goes on to say, consider the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile. See in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. When we visit the sick, when we visit those who cannot come to gathered worship, when they see us, what they see is a manifestation of the God of the cosmos. Do you realize how much of a blessing it is? He goes on to say that it's easily forgotten that the fellowship of the Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken away from us. Pause. Do you realize how fragile it is? That you can be in this room. That any day, your small group, your Bible study, that corporate worship could be taken away. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of their heart. Child of God, do not devalue the ministry and blessing of physical presence. I love where I sit. I, I, was, I was fussing earlier because sometimes when you're on stage, Jay, it's kind of funky. You, you, you kind of got to, you can see straight out and you can feel people coming out of your periphery. So sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm like, and God said, and I look back, and I'm looking back, not because it's like, oh, I, I feel somebody coming. So sometimes I'm like, oh, man, we need to wall that off or something. But then sometimes when I'm in worship, I love the fact that I get to be y'all's second greeter. Y'all get to interrupt my worship. Here I am to worship. What a boy. I love you. Here I am to bow down. I hate it and I love it. Y'all know how much I love to worship. But I love you actually too. And if I had a reason to break my worship, to hug your neck, because I understand the privilege that it's not a given that you walk through those doors. I love walking into worship and seeing Thomas and Natalie greet me and the Grimms greet me. I love seeing Kayla do her thing. I'm, I'm taking the visuals because I know they are not promised to me. And I don't want you to ever forget the fact that when somebody's in worship and they take a literal mental picture, your hands are blessing them. Just you showing up is a blessing to their spiritual journey. Don't you ever devalue the fact that you come and you show up and how much that means in the life of every other believer. Because there are some people who cannot come and take those mental notes. I think about the Christians in Israel. I think about the Christians in Gaza right now. I think about those Christians. We're getting ready when we sing carols. We are going to the nursing home to sing for a nursing home. I think about my older brothers and sisters who cannot gather. Think about the young man who belongs to us, who we have to go sing the words of Jesus over right now. And every time I leave him, he says, come back, PT. Do you realize the privilege that you have to meet in a physical space with real people who love Jesus like you? Don't you ever devalue it. And if you're not longing 
Maybe it's just time to take an evaluation of where we are in our heart. Is there church hurt that we need to process? Are our priorities so out of whack that coming to church, physically meeting with the brothers and sisters of Christ, has become a burden? This is not judgment, but we need to confess that, and we need to talk about that. This is God's grace to us to gather. At the moment it starts becoming burdensome, we need to start talking about why it is. In a free place where there ain't no judgment, we just want to get, okay, come on, let's pray about that. Because this is supposed to be a beauty and a refresher to you and your soul. I'm not just thankful for companionship, though. But I'm thankful specifically for the community of the reborn. I'm thankful for spiritual community. Let's talk about the exclusivity of spiritual community. Romans 12, 4, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to one another. This is kind of my intro and this is kind of where we're going, right? This, the, the idea is like, man, when we come to Christ, there, there's a crossing over. Died with him, raised to newness of life, and we're now a part of something bigger, right? Bonhoeffer says that, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another through and in Jesus Christ. This is important, yo. Because because we belong to each other. And because this, this body needs 1 Corinthians 12, we need the eye, we need the foot, we need the heel, we need the heart, we need all the things, right? That your presence matters. And not only does your presence matter, that means there's a part of my spiritual walk that you need to. You need me just as much as I need you. Have you truly grasped that? Or have we moved this beautiful, mysterious spiritual organism into the same class of all the other social structures we have? They're not going to miss us. Bingo club, I'll miss this week. Book club, well, I'll catch up on the next chapter. Right? This is just another social entity. But there's nothing magnificent and beautiful, and there's nothing that mandates that I need to actually be here. It's always optional. I rebuke that spirit over this church in the name of Jesus. We got too much of that. It's too much of that in the big C church, and it's too much of here too. We need you, and you actually need us. the way he designed it. And because we're a spiritual community, because we're different than any other entity on the face of this planet, that we actually need each other, not just to function as a church, we need each other for the thriving of our lives. That it means we have a certain ecosystem, we have a certain habitat that we have to do our Christianity in, and we've got certain fuel that we need to be able to make it run. I, listen, y'all, Pastor Tim is not a Costco guy, you know what I'm saying? I'm not a Sam's Club kind of guy, too. I'm more of like a pick it up at the gas station, CVS kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, look, I just, look, I need some socks, come on. 
I'm more of a family dollar. I need some undies. Come on, let me whoop. You know, I just come on whoop, whoop, whoop. That's the whoop annoying me. That's neat. So I'm not a wholesale kind of guy. So I, I, I don't really fool with that. But I just want to tell you, I want to bear witness and testify that yesterday I was riding with Big Josh. Josh was like, bro, you need some gas? I was like, yeah. He was like, bro, why don't you slide over here to Costco real quick? I just want to praise God right now for the Costco petroleum anointment. <laughs> good God Almighty. Yes, sir. Ooh, I feel the real good on that thing. Yes, sir. I just want to thank him and praise him right now. We need the gas. But Christians need the word of God. We must have his word we must have his word. If you're going to do spiritual community, it necessitates God's word. We must have it. We must be rooted and grounded in it. Colossians 2, 6, built up in it, strengthened in it. We got to have it. This might be my favorite quote of the whole passage. So get your phones out. You might have to get this on your way home. He says, therefore, a Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. This is my favorite. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. You know, they used to say, every time you drive a car off the lot of a dealership, it starts depreciating. Every time you leave us on Sunday morning, that word just loses a little bit of, just a little bit, and a little bit, and the cares of this world, and the things you're going through, and all the circumstances, it just chokes it out a little more, and a little more, and a little more. This is why it's so important we come back and gather. And to refuel and to refresh because we know that thing, it, it, it's under threat. The word of God in our heart is constantly under assault and deterioration. So we got to keep that thing built up. We're never as strong as we are when we're together singing how mighty our God is. Our God is greater. Feel real good, don't it? Strong. Who could ever stop us? Then you get that bill. Oh, God. God help me. Where are we going to get the money? Well, I thought your God was greater. I thought nothing could stop you. But your marriage got you hemmed up. Your children got you messed up. Doubting God's goodness and faithfulness. We're never really as strong as we are together, singing it over each other, robustly and with each other. So, therefore, we have to have each other. Yo, I recently found myself literally in, on my toilet, not using it, though I guess I could have been, but it just wasn't. I found myself in my bathroom, my head on my hands. I was struggling.
my wife came, sat on the floor. And she pulled a number that I usually pull on y'all. She said, look at me. She said, look at me. She said, you are loved, Tim Johnson, by the Father. You are forgiven. God's spirit lives in you. You are empowered and you have everything you need. And your future is secure because of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm your pastor and I've been struggling. And I need the word that's stronger out there than it is in my heart, yo. Somebody tell me what it is. One of my favorite movie lines is Braveheart. It's a strange scene because this guy, Robert the Bruce, he basically, you know, he, 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 he's a double agent. He gives up his army for security and the prosperity of his own kingdom and his nation. And so his dad was kind of telling him, yeah, brother, it's okay. You know, you did what was best for this family. And you know what? He says these lines. He says, all men lose heart, brother. It's okay. And Robert the Bruce just screams on his dad. He's like, I don't want to lose heart. I'm looking at Cody. Cody. Cody said something to me while we were together. He said, PT, he had tears streaming down his face. He said, the only thing I want to do is love Jesus and give him my all, all my days. I, I almost choke slammed him because I said, brother, that's my line. That's the only goal I have. I just want to give Jesus everything that I have. But sometimes I lose sight of that. And sometimes it's getting choked out. And I'm telling you, I need you. Don't just give me Hallmark cards. Somebody tell me what's true. Because I don't want to lose heart. I want a pastor till he brings me home. I want to keep sharing the word. I don't want to stop. But y'all got to help me preach the word over me. Tell me to keep going. Tell me who I am in him. I don't want to lose heart. I don't want to give up. I want to keep moving. And I know that a part of my endurance in the faith is I've got to be hanging on to the word in your heart that might be stronger than what I got going on in mine. It's actually not a game to me. I need you. Speak the word over me. Turn to your neighbor and say, speak the word over me. Turn to your neighbor and say, speak the word over me. Let's talk about the poison of carnal community before we close. I think there's three carnal ideas that could destroy a community. Carnal ideals carnal behavior, and carnal love. Carnal ideals, carnal behavior, and carnal love. Bonhoeffer brings these out in really cool ways. I think because Genesis 3 is true, like we sin, and sin put a fracture vertically between us and God. Sin put a fracture vertically between one another. 
Like we, we don't treat each other right. We don't look out for one another. There's an end, right? And so there's fracture here. So community is always going to be hard. Then maybe you should just write that down. Community is going to always be hard. And I think because of the fall, we long for, we long for a utopian idea of community. This is what Bonhoeffer says. One who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He is looking for some extraordinary social experience which he has not found elsewhere. And he is bringing muddled and impure desires into Christian brotherhood. <laughs> you know, one thing that's real popular amongst Gen Z is they always be bagging on the church. Like the church just got all this, everything wrong with the world is the church fault. It's them people. As if any other social institution they are part of got the answer. Nobody ever said the church was a perfect place. It is a hospital. It's got broken people. It's got broken systems. It's got broken leaders. This church ain't perfect. If this church ain't let you down yet, give it a week. You might be on the schedule. I'm sorry. It just is what it is. And that doesn't mean nobody's willfully trying to sin against you or to let you down or to disappoint you. But people, that's what we do. And sometimes one of the reasons why you're struggling with church community is because you are bringing some utopic ideal into the church, which, ah, ah, ah. See, you're trying to hold us to an expectation that maybe that was never ours to carry. It's the way, reason why we struggle in marriage. Oh, I'm going to get married, and I'm going to finally have somebody who understands all my needs and meets every one of my needs, and it's just like, oh, hmm. Well, let me just tell you, how many of y'all been married more than 15 years? Any one of y'all in here can stand up and say, those things are true. I got a spouse who always understands what I got going on, always meets my needs, always has the right things. Oh, Blake, Blake, Blake was trying to stand up for Jack. <laughs> and what that does is then when we have the wrong expectation, we begin to crush one another trying to get them to meet that expectation. That's why some of y'all have legitimately been hurt by the church. Others of y'all, you've been hurt elsewhere and you thought you were going to get the perfect thing at church and now you're disappointed with us when you don't get the perfect thing. It's not how it works, man. Be careful not to force carnal ideals, methods, and timelines on biblical community. We're just as imperfect as you are. We're just trying to work through it. Carnal ideals. How about carnal behavior? It is a gift of God we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us may appear great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. You know what he's saying? 
It's like in your individual life, when we, when we talk about the doctrine of justification, bang. And when he say it is finished, that means on, literally. I think I've been saved. I'm 41, 18. What's 41 minus 18? 23. I've been saved almost 23 years. You know, one of the things I love to say is like, man, I have not really wondered whether I was going to heaven or hell in 23 years. That's done. When they told me he paid for it, I was like, shoot, we good then. What's next? What's next? When they said my man said it is finished, I just took it to the bank. And so, therefore, we're not sitting here, ooh, am I in? Am I out? Am I, what, ooh, right? That's what he's trying. And he say that same ideal about your status before God as an individual is what we have to transfer to the community. Is it healthy? I don't know if it's healthy. Is it this? Is it that? Is it, right? It's like, man, because what, what he's trying to do, I think he's undergirding this with the process of sanctification. You might catch me in a place where God's really trying to work some things out of me with my lethargy or he might really be trying to work some things out of me with my mouth and how to bridle my tongue. And you might catch me at a moment where my tongue don't look very bridled. But it is finished. And if you try to take that snapshot and try to project that onto where we are, mm, you might be in a rough spot. I love the fact I can almost tell you, just like clockwork, probably four years into this church, finally the novelty of all the relationships wore off. It was like, you know, all that playing nice nice we've been doing, um, it finally, it wore off. And we finally had more eye rolls and we had more pastoring conversations. They don't like me. She don't, and she said it to me and I don't like it. Praise God. It all wore off. But that was not a sign of the health of our community. It's just sanctification. It's when you got sheep in the pen, you step on some nastiness. That's what happens. And God uses the sanctification to grow us. That's the only way. The only way we grow is we get shown ourselves. We respond to that by diving on our knees, falling on the mercy of God, and allowing his transforming power to it, it, renew us and make us something different, y'all. Just because we hit snags in our little community doesn't mean that this is evidence. This is a barometer of how bad we are. This is just God growing us. We actually have to become more patient. We actually have to become more kind. You are, you are not kind enough yet for how God wants to use us in 2024. You're not patient enough yet for how God want to use us on Summer Avenue in 25. He got to develop those things in us. And as he develops those things, he's got to first show us where we at. That ain't always fun. Sanctification shows us that we need Jesus. That's the whole point of the thing, right? You must come into community with the understanding that I need to change. Do you realize that? When you joined this church five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, did you actually take the time just to sit? Oh, I got things I need to work on 
and God gave me this group of people to help me. Did that ever enter your mind? I say this even with the spouses. Do you realize, spouse, young husband, young wife, that part of the reason why you are with that person is not, it has really a whole lot less to do with how much y'all love each other. Hey, man, I made a commitment to get Tim to look more like me. Gina, help him out. I don't want you to just help him out by preaching the word to him. I want you to be human amongst them and make him look to me. You just keep being yourself and make him look to me. I got an amen somewhere in the house. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, amen. Hey, I got some spouses in here who having some whole moments and some cleansing things happening in here. But that's what he does with this broader community. The partners he's put you with. When Pastor Tim says, hey, I want you to work with them. Hey, when, hey, I want you to sing on that team. And I want you to work under this person. And I want you to minister to them. And I want you to listen. That In those human relationships, it's not just simply didactic. But in that clashing of two people who love Jesus but also love themselves, there's some things, some good things that are coming too. If you would let it. I'm going to talk about carnal love. He says, human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. Human love, I didn't put it in there, but he says, human love wants to gain. It wants to capture by every means. It uses force. It desires to be irresistible to rule. Human love desires the other person, his company, his answering love, but it does not serve. Human love doesn't serve. On the contrary, Human love desires even when it seems to be serving. What he's trying to say is human love has always kind of got a double agenda. It's always trying to, to get your undying allegiance, and it's always trying to get you to serve it, right? So I'm only, I'm only bringing you flowers because I want something in return. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm only making you breakfast because I'm, you know, it's just, it's always got something else kind of up its sleeve. And just like our lack of sanctification, carnal love and carnal mindedness will destroy anything, especially community. If you put a bunch of people in a room who are only looking out for themselves, they will destroy each other. And that includes the household of faith. We have to have Christ's love in order to do community his way. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Bonhoeffer says, what love is, only Christ tells us in his word. This is contrary to all my opinions and convictions. Jesus Christ will tell me what love toward the brethren really is. Therefore, spiritual love is bound solely to the word of Jesus Christ. What it means to love one another is only defined by God's word to us. And here's where we'll close. I love this. Because Christ has long since acted decisively for my brother. Everybody say for my brother. Before I could begin to act, I must leave him his freedom to be Christ. I must meet him only as the person that he already is in Christ's eyes. 
This is the meaning of the proposition that we can meet others only through the mediation of Christ. Human love constructs its own image of the other person, of what he is and what he should become. Human love takes the life of the other person into its own hands. Take a brief scan around this room. Just turn your head. Just look. You are meeting brothers and sisters from all different walks of life, but not only different economic, racial, and social classes, but we are all at different stages in our journey to become and look more like Jesus. But I love where it starts. It says, because Jesus Christ has already acted decisively on their behalf, you better be careful. That don't mean that we don't exhort. And I'm going to be honest with you. You don't come to the avenue and we don't challenge. If we th see things that are off pocket, we're just going to tell you. We're not judging you. He's like, hey, that's not consistent with what it looks like to be part of the, those redeemed. But we're also not going to be like, you're worthless, you're damned, and you never was in. No, man. God's already acted on your behalf. And when he said it was finished, we meant that. He meant that. But our love, which is so peculiar and so different, I think real love, not love wins kind of love, but real love only demonstrated through Jesus Christ, the same God who says that while you were yet sinners, I died for you. See, that's different. See, love wins says, if you agree with me, I love you. Love wins says, if you agree to love everybody and never disagree with anything they got going on, that's love. Jesus' love says, oh no, I disagreed with you vehemently. I disagreed with you and I thought your lifestyle was punishable by death. But I loved you so much, I paid the penalty for that's different, bro. That's different. And that's the love that this spiritual community needs. A love that's willing to tell the truth and to forbear. A love that's willing to be honest and to also stay with people long enough to see them and continue to provide gracious environments where their sin can be dealt with, where they don't they don't, they don't, they know that they don't have to be cast out because of the first time that they're lazy and they don't show up to do their assignment. The first time that they speak ugly towards another brother in the room, that they don't got to get kicked out for it. That man, there's a gracious enough environment, man. Hey man, I love you. We can be honest. That wasn't really Christ-like speech, but man, I love you. And let's let's reconcile, let's be together. That's the love we need to make this thing continue to grow. But if you bring carnal love in this to community, nobody will ever be able to meet anybody's standards and will always see people come and go. Because either they will never feel like they're good enough for this community, or we won't, our standard be so high, nobody's ever good enough. It's, it's just, a, it'll always be a revolving door. But we need the spiritual love that comes from Jesus.
I love how community, the need for it. the special things that it needs to run and how the dysfunction of carnal community beautifully point us to Jesus. There's no other person who can quite meet all of our relational needs. There's no other thing outside the grace and the word of God that can give us the energy we need to do community his way. And so today, if you just close your eyes all over the building. Can we just be thankful for the presence, the literal presence of people we can worship and live out our faith with? Can we be thankful for a group of believers that have God's word in them that's stronger than our fragile hearts. And can we be thankful that the love that we need to maintain this community has already been shed abroad in our hearts for him who knew no sin came and died for us. We might have life.